fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Hello and welcome to the show. I've called an emergency meeting of the Brain Trust, and of course, here are the members. I'm the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn, and of course, I've got physics phenom and certified genius, Dr. Michael Denon. Excited to be here, Dan. Love these emergency meetings. Uh, no, it's great. We're going to get right down to business, but not until I've introduced our enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser. Thanks for having me, Dan. Ben, I'm glad to have you here uh, because this is there's a lot of technology here. There's a lot of engineering and what we're about to talk about. But I wanted to get you guys together because I have fallen in love with The Mandalorian. This show is amazing. I love this show, and it's got so much great technology. I mean, how great is this show? It's amazing. It's all my dreams of, you know, a cool <laughs> Western in the Star Wars universe. It's what I've always wanted. You know, I'm with you on that, man. I love the sci-fi, and West, the sci-fi Western thing here. Uh, space Western, I think, is the official genre. I- I'm loving it, man. This is. I think they're nailing it, too. What about you, Dan? Well, I do love it. Um, I do always get amazed, because it is a galaxy far, far away a long time right. ago. right how old everything is and how I would not actually want to live in any place the Mandalorian visits. <laughs> but besides that, I love it. And, and you know, to Ben's comment, I feel the same way about the Old West. I, I conceptually love it, but when I think about it, I really wouldn't want to live anywhere a Western takes place. No, no. I mean, to be fair, though, he does tend to the skeevy, gross parts of the galaxy. That's fair. yeah. That's no, I, I would say that's fair, except so does everybody else in Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, the, you know, the lifestyles of the rich and the famous Star Wars isn't as exciting. This is true. No, that's, I mean, that's what, like the prequels were with uh, Princess Amidala. Those were boring. Uh, you want exactly. you know, to see him cruising around in these, like, dirty saloons and, like, bount- hunting bounties and, like, going off into the middle of nowhere. That's what you want to see. You know, now I will say that we, uh, you know, just right off the bat, we're going through episode five. That's where we're going to stop. So all that we're going to talk about some technology that that was in episode five. Now I want to say that that this is probably my favorite Star Wars adventure after Solo. I really liked Solo. I might be the the Solo Solo fan. Oh no, Dan, I'm with you. Oh, I love Solo. Oh, did you guys? Yeah, Yeah, great. Oh, most people like. There's a lot of hate on that. I know most people. There's a lot of hate on it. I think it's irrelevant hate, and I ignore it. Train heists. Any heist, it's all great. Okay. Uh, Well, here's what I love. This show does so many great things for a Star Wars fan because if you like the original trilogy, it's got they bring back so much cool stuff plus some new nuggets. I mean, you got Jawas, you got Tusken Raiders, you even got like a mini Yoda. Uh, You've got carbonite freezing. They've you know, I remember Return of the Jedi. uh, They talked about how you know if if Han Solo survived the carbonite process and you know it's kind of an experimental thing there. Then we see on the ship he's got like five dudes in carbonite. You know, Han Solo paved the way from a technological standpoint for how prisoners are transported. And we did a whole episode on carbonite freezing, uh, one I'm very proud of. I love that episode. So we won't, we won't go into that, but what we're going to... Oh, and I also want to mention one other thing before we get into this. I loved the bounty hunter droid. Like, how cool was that guy? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> IG-11 was very cool. What, what's his name? IG-11. IG-11. Uh, how could I forget that? Yeah, he was great, man. I love yeah. the way he swiveled around and just his targeting system was just on point. It was amazing. Well, and and the high security of blowing himself up whenever anything went wrong, you know. <laughs> that, that was a secure <laughs> operating system right there. You know, will not fall into the 
the wrong hands. Right, it's a droid that self-destructs. I love it. Uh, th- so this is this this is great stuff in this thing. So let's get right into some of the technology here. So we're gonna go so we're gonna go with um, biological technology first. And we're going to talk about probably the most, uh, I would say, the most known aspect of the Mandalorian. Definitely the thing that's taken America by storm. And that is the adorable, uh, they call him the child, I believe is, is his name, in, uh, or its name. I don't know if it's he or she. The child, which is basically a Yoda species, a baby spe- uh, version of a Yoda species. Uh, this thing's adorable. Uh, I love this thing. <laughs> this is really cute. Yeah. yeah, Baby Yoda is the best. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, now I want to make it a point to know all three of us understand it is not actually Baby Yoda, but is a Baby Yoda species kind of yeah, thing. Because I, I don't know, think it might, be a, yes. it might be a clone. We do see the... Uh, oh, that's interesting. The, the Imperial the imperial Doctor that we see with um, Space Werner Herzog, right. he, he had the crest of Kamino the cloning planet on his clothes. Wow, that's a real Easter egg you picked up there. Yes. <laughs> I did not know that. There And there are lots this of... This is what you get from an engineer. They actually have to pay attention to details. No kidding. Uh, or things fall over, don't work, or blow up. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's amazing, I was reading a couple articles, there are so many Easter eggs on this show. Uh, oh, it's yeah, it's pretty everywhere. incredible. Um, but but yeah. I didn't know that, so that's really cool. So here's yeah. what I love. Here's the key part I want to talk about here is, so supposedly he is a 50-year-old toddler, now I'm not a parent, Denon. I'm going to default to you on this one. Uh, you've had several <laughs> kids, and they've grown out of the yes. toddler stage at the normal human rate. Could you imagine having a toddler for 50 years? No, I could not. Um, I know I like to normally give longer answers, but it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> no, uh, um, it, it's a nightmare. Now, actually, but it's interesting. Yeah. So far, we've only seen the cute side of the toddler. Right. Well, we've seen that one briefly wondering... dangerous when he picks up that big, um, whatever that thing is, the big mud. mudhorn. A mudhorn, that's right. You know, if my toddler could lift things with the force, I would, I would take advantage of that. That would, not, I would not view that as the scary part of being a toddler. <laughs> well, but what if it lifts the wrong things? Like, what if it's using it to uh... throw the mac and cheese at the wall? <laughs> yeah, no you know, no pun intended. Yeah, that, that would just make it more fun. Okay. Uh, <laughs> now, what about now? We, it's been a happy toddler. That's what I'm getting yeah. at. Yes. And let's just say people won't complain about it crying on the airplane for fear of being thrown off the airplane. <laughs> so that saves time, too. Well, that's, see, that's the weird thing is you've got this toddler with incredible power. I mean, this is very similar to the Twilight Zone episode um, where the kid, you know, he basically runs this town because if it, he can, like, imagine people or blink them into, like, a cornfield where they'll never see anyone again. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that episode. But, you know, children with incredible power, uh, they're more dangerous. So I'm not saying I'm on the side of these, uh, I guess they'd be essentially rebel Imperials. I'm not on their side at all. But you got to be careful with this kid. He's got a lot of power. we got to make sure he's, you know, he's, he's on the side of yeah. good, you know. We do. We, that's why we want to make sure he's raised right by someone like the Mandalorian, who has a great sense of honor. Yeah, yes. yeah. I don't know if he's the perfect parent that I would use, but he's, he's all right for now. <laughs> But he's better than a rogue imperial rebel, whatchamacallit. Right. He's better it, than evil imp- empire people who are going to use him to uh, yeah. you know, bring about the First Order even faster. Right. Well, it's an interesting dilemma because essentially you have the Superman problem here, right? I mean, you have this, like, when Superman right. lands into a cornfield... And if the wrong people are raising him, I mean, this is what they explored yeah. in this great series called Supreme Power, which is Marvel's version of the JLA. 
uh, you have, you know, Hyperion's the Superman character, but he lands and the government brings him in and they essentially have to brainwash him until he's old enough because he's too yeah. powerful. They make a decision. We have to either kill this baby or brainwash him. They go with brainwashing. 50 years is a long time. That baby's soaking up a lot of stuff. Um, so this is pretty serious. But but this 50-year toddler thing, this is the thing that I wanted to, I couldn't get my head around. Uh, I found some really interesting things in real life. So, you know... Ben, ben mentioned humans being some of the creatures that have the longest, we'll call it the juvenile period. So essentially, how long are species a kid? How long are they? And that's in, in biological terms, that's defined as the point before sexual maturity. So how long can someone remain a kid? And for human beings, it's 12 to 14 years, which is a pretty long time when you start looking at that, but that's not 50 years. So I'm gonna give you a couple of quick little things here and I wanna get your thoughts on it. There are several species that have maturity cycles similar to ours. Elephants are about eight to 15 years. They reach sexual maturity. They breed 18 to 20. The Nile crocodile is 12 to 16 before they reach maturity. The tortoise is 13 to 16. So lots that are very like us, but I wanted to, there's two very interesting ones here. I don't know if you guys ever had orange ruffy. It's a fish. But it takes about 23 to 40 years until they reach maturity. And this fish, they believe wow. it can live 250 years. And the smooth Oreo oh. Dory, which does sound delicious, 20 to 30 years until maturity. And they can live up to 100 years. So there are animals out there that can take that long, which is from a, from an, from a survival standpoint is really interesting. Because as we see with Baby Yoda... He's, I don't know, he's definitely not helpless, but he requires protection for an extremely yeah. long period of time. Makes me realize why I haven't seen Orange Ruffy in the store in a long time. <laughs> we used to have that all the time as a kid. <laughs> we ate it into extinction, basically, because yeah. it takes so long. It takes 40 years for them to, to even uh, uh, to, to reach maturity. And, you know, we're scooping them up and eating them at an incredible pace. But how amazing is that? It is. But at the same time, as you pointed out, Dan, I think the two always go together. The length you live. Mm-hmm. Like it, what it shows, roughly speaking, biology tends to scale, mm -hmm. right? If your average lifetime is incredibly long, the other factors in it just get stretched out to some degree. Yeah. Right. And and when you look at us now, even though there were points in history where our average lifespan was short, that average lifespan is short almost always due to child mortality mm -hmm. and attrition. Right. If you make it past a certain point, humans have generally lived, you know, 50 to 70 years. That's not unusual if you're the rare person to survive all the childhood diseases, happen to live somewhere with just barely enough food so you don't starve to death mm -hmm. and aren't in a war zone. Right. And now modern medicine just makes it a little longer. So, you, you know, when you think we live maybe 50 years, say, call it 60 very naturally and easily. Right. You know, sexual maturity and all of that. At 10 to 12, okay, now you scale it. The other ones you listed that were long, we're all living longer. So there is a deep connection there with all of our biological processes. And Yoda, I assume, lives much, much longer. Well, they mentioned yeah. it in Jedi. Ben probably knows the, the real number. It's like 900 years. Okay. So. Yeah. Well, you teed yeah. me up really well here, Denny, because I just, I just tweeted out an incredible article about human lifespan. There's a group of scientists who've actually determined genetically – and this is only for vertebrates, but how long they're supposed to live in the wild. Humans, tag that, 
38 years. We are not supposed to live any longer than 38 years. So yeah, I don't believe them. <laughs> I would, I, I, but 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 imagine. So if, if if what we're saying is true, you don't reach sexual maturity until let's say you know fourteen, fifteen. Then you're only alive for another fifteen years before you're you know or you know 15, I guess another twenty five years until you're like you're out of yeah. the system. You know. So it's it it would actually if that were true, that scale would actually be off. Well, no, because Yoda's nine hundred and he's still a toddler at fifty. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. So, that makes sense. The issue yeah. I have more is that he's a toddler. Like humans are out of their toddler, you know, till at two. So right. I'm, I'm curious. Or four, or six. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like I, I do wonder. Like, I, what I actually really wonder about him is if he was being raised by other Yodas, mm-hmm. would he be talking already? Like, why can't he talk? Like, like oh, what's been that's going an on interesting question for the past fifty years. Like, is he a toddler in turn? as we would define a toddler, which is barely verbal can, and toddles around, or is he just like a kid who, is he like a first grader that doesn't talk because he's been traumatized? I mean, that's really interesting. I mean, 50 years is a long time to be absorbing everything and to be progressing, progressing yeah. at that slow of a rate. I mean, he must be, it, he's almost fully grown. Yoda is not much bigger than he was. Yeah, but <laughs> this is well, true. Yoda was a little bigger, but... little. Well, that was because Yoda had shrunk because he had gotten so old. Right. He'd gone back to original size. 50 years out of 900, it's pretty easy to say, you know, Yoda probably lived long for his species. He seemed like a, you know, he was healthy. He exercised a lot. Sure. Yeah, it's true. All that's true. <laughs> he lived, the force he lived helps. a life of luxury to, up until the end. Yeah. Well, living in a swamp, but. Yeah, uh... yeah. So, you know, if you compare that to people who live like 90 years, baby Yoda should be like five-ish. Compared, mm-hmm. you know, if you just scale it, linear, you know, linearly. So right. he should be more like a first grader, I would think, who can huh. talk and do stuff. I like this theory you have. I like this idea yeah. of the, that he's this traumatized kid. So we don't know what he's capable of. And so you're yeah. saying that he's choosing not to speak and that he's actually capable of much, much more. I'm not sure if he knows how. Mm. But he certainly understands really well, I have a feeling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He clearly... Which would be consistent. But also... Do we really know? I have to admit, there's one piece of ignorance I have about the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do they really all speak the same language? Clearly not, because you have droids that translate. Right. So could it just be he hasn't learned the language that the Mandalorian is speaking? Well, presumably the Mandalorian speaks basic, which is English. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Star Wars English. Right. Right. Um, but, but, but the baby Yoda could have learned a different language. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he was on some... You know the planet with uh, you know the Agnolti. Ug- yeah. <laughs> you know who knows what they spoke over there. Agnoltish, I believe, is what it's called. If I had to guess, if I had to throw a guess out there, I mean, this is it's really interesting stuff. I like that idea. I want to close with one other cool kind of thing. Um, so those are mammals. There is one other species that can live for a very long time, and and they're a juvenile period, and these are insects. There's a 17-year cicada, which is interesting. Mm. This one, I, I just want to close on this because I love this. There's the Eburia quadrigiminata, and that is an insect that has a 40-year cycle. It can be in the juvenile for 40 wow. years, and it's a wood-boring uh, wood insect. So what's actually happened is they found these up to 51 years, similar to the child's age, uh, the baby Yoda. 
But these things can be, these insects can appear 40 or 50 years after you've had wood flooring installed or have gotten a new piece of furniture. They found it, you know, five decades later. I just think that that's absolutely incredible stuff. Uh, so we, we, we're bi- going talking about biology. That's, that's the, the baby Yoda species. But I also love the way that they find him. And, and all these bounty hunters have these yeah. weird tracking systems. They're basically biological trackers. We've talked about things that transmit in our quantum pager episode. You know, we have RFID chips. But these require a transmitter and a receiver. That's not what's going on here. What do you guys think about this? We got this a little bit in the first episode where Grief Karga, Carl Weathers' character, uh, he when he's telling him about the tracker, it makes it sound like that they have like a last position and the Mandalorian kind of had to get close and then go from there. And so I'm mm-hmm. wondering, mm-hmm. like right. we know that they have like life form scanners where like when they're above a planet, they can scan to see if like what kind of life form is on the planet, whether it's reptilian mm-hmm. or only or only plants or whatever. Or, or when you fire out an escape pod and only detect droids. Right, exactly, and then make a huge mistake and not shoot it. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's a good move. So I do wonder if the tracker really works over the galactic distance, or if you kind of have to get into the system first, based on you know good old fashioned detective work. I, I like that, Ben, because it clearly, you know, going to Dan's earlier comment, this is not going to work over galactic distances. Yeah. But you just look at the size of them. There's no power source to do whatever it needs to do. Yeah. Um, and what I also wonder, they, they clearly have to be programmed for a particular person's signature yeah. at some point. So mm-hmm. you clearly need a certain amount of information about the person ahead of time. Um, you know, it is interesting to think about when we talk about like the quantum pager in our other episodes, it did make me wonder, you know, is it is it detecting in principle sort of subtle, you know, quantum resonances of your DNA, you know, kind of a super fancy somehow MRI that works on DNA, which is all throughout your body, um, and and maybe a unique enough sort of chemical signature. Um, the other interesting, when, when you think about things like MRI signatures, I mean, that's something that's, you know, perhaps even down the road, for us, you know, we talk about fingerprints, we talk about eye retina scans, because these are geometric structures you look at optically. But there are, you know, we all probably have a unique sort of chemical ecosystem in our body, um, based on both mm-hmm. our DNA and what we do and all of that. Um, so it would be interesting to see if there was really a chemical detector that you could connect to a person. Yeah. Well, I, I think you have to go with DNA on this. It's the only thing that would be specific to a person without any questions. There has to be some, and I don't know if there's some kind of shorthand where you know we give it it base, you know, it breaks down your DNA into a very into a barcode almost, and then that somehow scans everything. You know, maybe it's sending out like the you know when you go to the shopping, you know, the the supermarket and it scans your barcode. Maybe it's sending out those you know red detectors in all directions as it's going out, and as you get closer, as Ben said, instead of going through the galaxy, maybe you're in the star system or the star itself, then maybe it can scan that barcode, um, the barcode being the DNA or whatever. I think there has to be some level of DNA on this because everything else just just seems less specific. I think you're right. The other question I have, and this is more for Ben, um, Mm -hmm. in the, I've lost track number wise, but when he helps 
somebody else, for a minor spoiler alert, the person breaks the tracker yes. and makes an interesting statement. I'll, I have the coordinates memorized. Right. That yeah. seems useless if a human being can move. One. Yeah, no. That's, well, yeah, so, that's but really that's beside the point. That's beside the point. But the second thing is my understanding, and Ben, correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding is these things did not give you a coordinate. They worked sort of on an old fashioned beeping as you got closer. Like a metal detector almost. More of a metal detector system. Yeah. It certainly seems like that. I mean, maybe maybe it's like a droid where it's beeps that say something and uh, our puny human brains can't concept. Okay. Com- mm. I mean, I think that was saying, more for dramatic but... effect and I don't really... For sure. I don't really feel like picking on it for that. Um, but okay. I do think the basic technology here is kind of a beeping as, as, closer, as you get closer more than... That certainly seems to be the implication. I mean, I yeah. think you see that... Um, in the end of the, was it the second or third episode where, where he when he kidnaps the child back, and everybody's tracker is beeping and they're all right. kind of stalking him and it yeah. sure seems yeah, and now I'm trying to remember if it was the Imperials or Grief who told him about the um, how how they knew the rough coordinates but no but I think you're right Ben I do remember that same thing where they. They he said they can't give him an exact location and they don't have the puck and all of that. Yeah, but they can give him a last known, last known coordinate. Yeah, your your, your comment there, then, and I like what you found there. I, I when I heard him say that, I thought that was very odd too. Unless he specifically meant because the the child was in one specific location that they were going to, but even that seems like they moved him. Now you lost the tracker and now you don't have it at all. So, um, yeah. yeah, that's a good catch there. But I, I think this might be some kind of. Um, barcode scanning DNA based uh, metal detector. If I had to guess, that's kind of what we're yeah. going for here. I think we're pretty exactly. Close yeah. It also makes me wonder about the pucks. Like, are, how are, are the pucks better somehow? Hmm. Like, yeah. What I was looking into that, Ben, and I don't think the pucks actually help you with the tracking. They help you with proof that you're the one who's supposed to get them, and a picture of who oh. you're getting too, so you know hey, exactly right. what you're going after and whom. Because remember, in this case, he didn't know. He had no information on who the target was. Oh, uh, okay. So it was just a. So you always need both. It's a blind beacon. Yeah, it's a blind a beacon where you have like the actual bounty. Poster. And you still need right. the beacon to find them. Right. That I do, makes sense. I do love that scene when he walks in with the child, or when he walks in and then all the trackers go off, and you're like, he's going to be hunted. This is the story. Now he's going to be yeah. hunted throughout the galaxy because there's so well, much it's money. Because he didn't. If he had killed the doctor, no one would have known mm. that he. <laughs> kidnapped the kid back ben's cleanup service man <laughs> right <yeah. laughs> i like that i like that you know how to how to keep people quiet let's keep this situation under control uh speaking of i imagine ben with with that sort of sort of mentality your weapon of choice would be that incredible disintegration rifle which i believe is called an amban sniper rifle or a disruptor sniper rifle sniper rifle in in the in the series, which is basically a rifle that can disintegrate people. Not since yeah. Duck Dodgers in the 24th and a half century have we seen disintegration pistols at this level. Uh, this was pretty cool, I think. Yeah, it's definitely a, a weapon we haven't seen visually before. Right. Um, or at least the effect. I mean, technically, we've seen this weapon before. It's in the Star Wars Holiday Special. But... Right. Which I have, by the way. <laughs> I haven't seen oh, it. Well, everyone has. It's, it's, I, I didn't, it's, it's available so it's... where... Internet is sold. Right. No, that's true. Wait, so now it's in that? Because I'm going to go... Yeah, so in the cartoon, the Boba Fett cartoon, that's in the holiday special, that's the rifle he has. You're talking about the 1978 special? 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, now, now I have a reason to go watch that again. Okay. Yeah, so the the rifle that Boba Fett has in the, the special is the same. Looks to be the same. I mean, it's a cartoon, so, you know, who knows if it's right. exactly the same, but... Wow, it looks close. Way to pull that out of the lore, man. That was really impressive. I, I there's am... other there's other holiday special stuff too. In the, in the first episode, the the first bounty he picks up when he's taking him to the carbonite thing, the guy's like, "So I guess I'm not going to make it home for Life Day, huh?" Is that in the? I, I haven't seen the special. Life Day to... is what holiday special is about. That's the holiday. <laughs> <laughs> Now I gotta go watch it. I feel like I haven't really experienced the Mandalorian because I haven't seen the holiday special in so long. There is so much stuff. Like the people who make the show, Favreau and Filoni, right? They are tuned in to all these little quirks of yeah. Star Wars, and they're seeding it everywhere. Wow. Okay. Yeah, now no, I gotta go watch cool. that. That's really cool. I like that. What What's kind of cool about this gun is not besides the fact that it literally disintegrates people. Like the the Duck Dodgers yeah. cartoon. I'm sure you guys have seen it. But that it's an Acme. Uh, well, first of it, the the one that Marvin the Martian uses is an A1 disintegration uh, pistol, and it basically turns Daffy Duck into a pile of dust. That an integrating pistol, the Acme version, can then turn him back into. Uh, Daffy right, Duck, the, Duck the, Dodgers, the, I should yeah. say. Now, with this one, everything is like scattered into the wind. Like he shoots a Jawa, and the Jawa just evaporates. Well, his yeah. his coat doesn't, or whatever that whatever his cloak is. But the biological yeah. matter inside is just poof gone. And it also uses those strange projectiles. He actually has to load the thing up and blast, yeah. which is also but, very different. It's not it's not beam it's not beam based. Yeah, well, I think that that's just like each of those shells is just. Uh, to to disintegrate someone, you're going to need a lot more energy than just to hit them with a blaster bolt. Mm-hmm. So my assumption with that is like each disintegration round is just a really big energy charge that gets uh, consumed mm-hmm. in firing whatever is going out there. So I, I have a crazy idea about the disintegrator ray, right. but I agree with Ben. Energy's involved here, but but bear with me for a moment. I think the key thing is... Not actually, you're not actually disintegrating matter. If he was disintegrating right. the matter, you would see a major sort of energy explosion. That's what it, you know. Oh, sure. Yeah. You'd yeah. be converting matter to energy. What you are simply doing is breaking all the chemical bonds. Yeah. Uh, I'm with you. Okay. And probably biologically, right, we're all carbon based, lots of hydrogen. Um, if I remember my organic chemistry correctly, we're probably dealing with a lot of hydrogen bonding going on. Mm hmm. Um, most of it. I mean, there is ionic bonds. There's some covalent bonds in other places. But if you could focus in on the resonance of the energy of the bonds, right, and create the right basically sort of resonant frequency energy disruption, mm-hmm. you don't have to break all the bonds to turn you to dust. Right. You just have to break a lot of them. And everything at resonance is always easier takes a little less energy um, to make something occur when you're at resonance. Yeah. So I'm basically I'm basically taking Ben's idea. The pellet is your energy source of some sort. I could imagine it even getting fired. And it's actually the right, like I said, it's just then the right source of either vibrational, electromagnetic. I'm not sure exactly which spectrum I want to use because my yeah. organic chemistry is weak as a physicist. Mm-hmm. But you get the right form, you get the right frequency to hit that resonant band, and poof, all the bonds yeah. break. And once That's you break the bonds, they're incredibly hard to reform. 
and you're yeah. now dust and you fly away in the wind. Yeah, I think what's important is to to think from the effect we see what must be left. Right. And I think you have to be breaking the molecules apart even. Mm. Well, isn't it dust that's left? We don't see anything. Well, it's dust. Well, so it's dust and and I'm assuming water vapor and right. other gases. Right. Okay. Right, so, so like to me, it sounds like it must be breaking you down into the carbon, the oxygen, and the hydrogen, because if it wasn't breaking the water bonds, you should splash, unless you're like boiling so fast that you all evaporate to steam. Right, so I'm gonna add, I'm gonna add an element to Ben's. Okay. Right, you break the bonds that you break the chemical bonds, not the mole- at the core molecular level, but between the molecules. Yeah, and then the excess energy generated heats it rapidly and vaporizes it into a gas. That, I'll I'll accept that. Okay. Although, <laughs> why the cloak then doesn't burn is questionable. Well, because the cloak is at a completely different resonance frequency. Oh. It's it's a different binding. Well, right, but wouldn't the heat shouldn't it like catch on fire or something? Yeah, it might. I, almost everything should catch on fire everywhere in Star Wars. So <laughs> that long ago, things were much fire resistant. Right, right. They're all wearing asbestos cloaks. So when you talk about resonance frequency, you're essentially meaning uh, you're going to all the bonds are at the same frequency. So the frequency you're you're shooting at them is going to sh- shatter a bunch of them at the same time. That's what you mean by basically conserving the energy. Exactly. That's the image you want. Uh, which is that's a great idea. I like that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, the, the cloak is, you know, it seems like the cloak flies into the air again for dramatic effect, but I do like to explain these things, and, and I think that one's a little yeah. tricky, but I like where you guys are going. It is tricky, but the asbestos cloak can work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, it would be very, it would be a very good insulator. It looked very hot on that planet, you know. It's used to, it's used to high temperatures. It's a high temperature yeah. cloak. <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe he works in the, uh, you know, the, the refinery part of the sand crawler, and so he needs to, uh have high heat resistance so that reminds me in one of the later shootouts doesn't the guy's clothes disappear so clearly the jawa cloak might be a very particular material yeah Hmm. i feel like when he's fighting the other mercenaries when he's escaping from navarro yeah does it don't some of them disintegrate completely I think so. I think you might yeah. be right. It's the cloak material, Dan. Okay, all right, fair enough. We I can mean, declare that solved. It does get a little swampy inside that that sand crawler, I'm sure. So you got to have just the yeah. right amount of clothes, right, the right particular uh, cloth yeah. for that environment. So w- what I liked about this is that it's not laser based, and a lot of the stuff in Star Wars is laser based. And one of the cool right. things, and this can this might actually be a quick conversation. I just thought it was really cool is the Mandalorian armor that he makes the, out of the best car. This is kind of cool because it it it's specifically. Besides looking like metal, where the stormtroopers look like they're wearing plastic, which is right. so weird. Yeah. It looks like plastic. It doesn't even look like metal. Well, there, it's, uh, it's, I looked it up. It's officially plasteel. Plasteel. Yeah. Okay. So plastic steel, steel plastic. Is that the idea? Yeah, it's like steel, strength of steel, you know, weight and look of plastic. Right. Uh, see, I got to say the. Because really, look, that's the look you want for your armor is plastic. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say the Mandalorian, that, that looks like steel. That's a pretty cool look, I got to admit. Yeah. I do yes. like that look. So, w- what's interesting about this is it seems to be they make a point, especially when the one guy, um, he gets shot and he pulls one out in true Wild West style. Instead of a Bible blocking the bullet, it's in right, fact the, 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 uh, yeah. a piece of best car. But, but it seems to be they're making a point that it blocks blaster rounds or whatever. Blasters are magnetic based um, plasma contained 
things. That wasn't said very well. Mm -mm. But basically, Ben said yes, so I clearly got it right. Yeah, it's a plasma bolt. It's a plasma bolt. So the cool thing about blasters is they are not actually lasers. So what I love about the Star Wars world, right, is the best car, its main really cool feature is it can stop a lightsaber. Okay. Mm. Have Have we seen that before? No, but it's known to be able to do that. Not yet in this okay. show. So maybe that's okay. a spoiler, but it is a, a property of it. Okay. And, and the reason this is cool, consistent physics is the physics of a lightsaber and the physics of a blaster are basically the same. They're basically plasma contained. And the only way you contain plasma is in a reasonable way are magnetic fields. So you clearly have magnetic fields and high energetic ions as part yeah. of both of those technologies. So you can imagine a metal with the right magnetic properties or the right electromagnetic properties is what you really want to repel these. Hmm, okay. I'd also assume it's just very dense and has a high um, heat capacity. Right, the heat comes into it, but I'm really thinking this is kind of like the equivalent of, you know, um, when you look at certain magnetic materials, like a diamagnetic material repels another magnetic object or a superconductor completely repels a magnetic field and none of it can penetrate. If the magnetic field can't get into the metal, the actual ionic material will be repelled as well as the magnetic field is kind of put in a different direction. Another interesting thing with the armors, um, you see in the, in the first episode when he gets shot up and beat up by the, the mud horn, what we see is that the, his, the underside of his armor is electronic. There was all mm-hmm. sorts of circuits and machinery under there. So I'm also wondering if part of that armor is that there's like some sort of magnetic shielding going on in mm. addition to normal armor. Yes, and then the best car could have properties that enhance that magnetic field. Yeah. Yeah, it could it could be a very good metal for, you know. But that piece of Beskar blocks a blaster bolt when it's in his chest without any of the so, Sure, but that was like a small arm. Fire. Right, so it would be like the equivalent of uh, um, when we talk about our Acme products. It would be the difference mm-hmm. between a permanent magnet and an electromagnet. Yeah, right. Got you it. can okay. enhance. You can enhance it beyond yeah. its normal. I, I'm guessing just a bar of Beskar isn't going to stop the um, like the sniper rifle, like we see in uh, on the Tatooine episode. Like I think I think grief mm-hmm. would have gotten shot okay. pretty good with that one. Whereas the Mando's armor has the extra electronics to deal with that. Okay, that makes sense. The the other cool thing about that one that supports the magnetic idea is he mentioned the range mattering. Yes, yeah. And and a magnetically confined Mm. plasma, you know, physical type weapon will change its strength with distance. Hmm, okay. Yeah, it'll slow down potentially a lot over the range. So that's... And the magnetic field will presumably decay... Yeah. And, and spread out in some level and get weaker. Yeah, the plasma might cool, all sorts of stuff. That's great. I love that. I love that electronic um, aspect to the armor, which I didn't think about, but enhancing it to resist a lightsaber makes a lot of sense if that is one of its properties. Yeah. You know. Yeah, we we do. Yeah, there's talk of just that armor in general, like shrugging off vibro blades and all sorts of stuff. So that's cool. I like that. Uh, one of the other gadgets that I love that he has, and this this is just me saying that it's really cool. I love his hand 
um, his wrist flamethrower. The only thing yeah. that I would say, I mean, that's pretty easy. There's people who have actually built like working models of these like handheld yeah. flamethrowers. The only thing I, that I would think would enhance that would be to use napalm instead of just regular like flame because it it doesn't seem to do a lot. But if he could turn it into some sort of like damaging flame projectile, yeah. I think that that would enhance it quite a bit. Yeah, generally flamethrowers that use like butane and things like that just aren't. I mean. They're good deterrents, but they're not really great weapons. You right. Know, you yeah. really want yeah. something that'll drop, uh, you know, the jellied gasoline like a napalm does. Right. <laughs> right. We really want to destroy. And that's not like Star Wars. That's not really their kind of deal. But um, if I was going to enhance it, uh, that's what I would do. But but like you mentioned, it, it it works as a deterrent. People are scared of it, but it doesn't really seem to do much. It's, you know... Just kind of maybe send your hair off or whatever. So I'm going to call an end to this emergency meeting. I think we hit it all. I know there's a lot more in the series. We're only halfway through. But if anything comes up, we'll give you updates. But I want to thank you, too, for answering the call. Batman-esque, I put out the bat signal. You guys came, and we tackled the Mandalorian. So thank you guys for sitting down and talking Star Wars with me. Oh, thank you, Dan. It was great to do this. Always, always happy to talk Star Wars with you, Dan. And I want to thank everyone for listening. And again, if you're making this stuff at home, be safe with it. Be a superhero, not a supervillain. Until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glenn Co. production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. If you like this show, subscribe. Never miss an episode. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and now Spotify. You can do it on all the podcasting platforms, or you can go to our website, ftriplegbt.com. That's ftriplegbt.com. You can find all sorts of information about the episodes, the links we discussed. You can watch videos of it. we got YouTube videos as well. And, of course, you can listen to the episode, ftriplegbt.com. You can even follow us on social media, all there on the website. And if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.